our loving Father, Lord, we are privileged that we have a knowledge of you, the God of the universe, the one true God, the God who creates, and therefore you are the God who has the power to recreate. And Father, this week so far, just our first few days here of camp meeting, Lord, we've been blessed, and we just thank you for that. And tonight, Father, we've come that we might receive yet another blessing. And so we thank you that we could gather here, that we could sing these songs, these hymns, these words of praise and adoration to you. And so, Father, we just pause now to invite your Holy Spirit to please be with us. Father, we're not here just for the sake of conducting a meeting. We're here that we might be challenged to own it, to own our faith, to not stand on the sidelines and watch other people have a faith experience, but to step into the water, so to speak, and take Jesus for ourselves. And so, Lord, tonight I pause to lift up Elder Gallimore. Lord, you know the words that you've placed upon his heart, what you've inspired him to share with us this evening. And so, Father, we just ask that you would speak through him, that he would be but your mouthpiece, your vessel. And, Lord, we thank you for him, for his commitment to you, for the example. And, Lord, we just ask for your blessing this evening as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We feel very blessed this evening to have our conference president with us. Elder Gallimore, thank you for making the time for the young adults. Love to do it. Did you hear what he said? He said, I love to do it. And so I, I do have the privilege of introducing our speaker this evening. And I tell you, Elder Gallimore, he is our Michigan Conference president, but he's also a friend. Um, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your mentorship. And so those of us that work here as pastors in this field, we know that our Michigan Conference leadership loves us and cares about us. And I tell you, it makes a big difference when you know that your leadership is supporting you and that they're behind you and they're also willing to give you the push in the right direction when you need it. And so we're thankful for that. But without any further delay, I do want to invite Elder Gallimore to come up. And again, Elder, thank you for spending the time with us. We're honored to have you this evening. The time is yours and preach as long as you can keep them. So, <laughs> right. amen. Good. I'm glad you're here. And uh, we're not a lot in number and I really want to make this something that's valuable to you. And so I want to be able to uh, entertain some of your questions to go along. Some of you are scattered. Could I get you in about the first three rows here? Could I do that? Would you be so kind as to do that for me? And if I've got you right here, then you can hear each other. I can hear you. Uh, my ears are not as good as they used to be for some reason, Julie. And I don't know what that is. I, I think it's because... Uh, we're all old age positive or something. What a great group you are. Man, just coming right in here like this. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And um, all right. Good. Now, I know that you've been uh, dealing with people's testimonies this week, and I got to hear part of Pastor Steve's last night, and I was blessed by that. And uh, I have a testimony, too. I'm not going to get so much in that except to talk to you about my active testimony what is going on on a day-to-day -day basis. And I hope that this will be practical. I want you at any time to raise your hand and wave and raise your hand and say, hey, I'd like to know more about that or what about this. And um, because when you leave here tonight, I want you to be able to take something away that's very, very practical. What I'm going to share with you tonight is something that I'm using on a daily basis. In fact, I'm using it on an hourly basis. That's how practical what I'm talking about is tonight. Um, 
Uh, thank you for those beautiful songs. I, I'm so tempted to, uh, you know, you don't know how valuable you are. Uh, Ellen White says that one human being is more valuable than a world. Have you ever thought about that? More valuable than a world. Um, and the universe is amazing. I love to talk, you know, evolution has uh, got one foot in the grave and another on the banana peeling, and the banana peeling is sliding. Uh, this thing is falling apart. It's falling apart badly. Um, it's just that um, it's all going to come crumbling down, and the world will have nowhere to go except a spiritualism, and that's where, it's, that's where we're headed with all of this stuff because the facts are that the scientific evidence is so powerful for design that they're desperate. The high priest of, the high priest of uh, evolution, um, I'm trying to remember their names, uh, at any rate, uh, they're so desperate, they're saying, yeah, well, that's true, because what happens is that they get pressed back and they say, okay, where did the intelligence come from for the DNA? Where did that intelligence come from? Where did the power come from to put all of that together? And they're so desperate that they, they're now saying, well, maybe some alien came here to the world. <laughs> well, they're getting a little closer, you know, uh, kind of a thing. Uh, it's pretty desperate stuff. One of them, I'm trying to remember those guys' names. Um, who? Yeah, Dawkins. Yeah, they, um, uh, he, he's saying, well, I mean, this is how desperate they are. They're saying, well, the, the, the universe does appear to be designed, but it's not. And you look at them and you say, listen, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it is a duck. Um, Genesis is more relevant than it's ever been before. In the beginning, that's God created time. I don't understand that. By the way, they love to get you and they say, well, where did God come from? And when they do that, you just look at them and say, God didn't come from anywhere because God always has been. There's never been a time. I said, no, your little brain can't handle that. I say that kindly, neither can mine. But there's never been a time when God was not. And God created time. In the beginning, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. And that's what the universe is made up out of. Space, matter, time. And... Uh, the, the greater, and you just, the, your genetic code, did you know that your genetic code, that it not only reads this as simple terms, but it helps explain it. It's, it's a book, it's letters, it's made up of four letters with billions of things uh, in it, billions of words, instructions. It not only reads from left to right, it reads from right to left, and it has codes in it that you draw it out. It's encrypted. There's about five different ways that that, so if you start messing up the code, you don't mess up just a little bit of something, you mess up everything. And that's why all of us down here on the end of the creation, I tell the Lord, Lord, have pity on me because I'm nearly 6,000 years away from the creation. I got all those ancestors, and every ancestor is passing on genetic defects. Did you know that? In fact, John Sanford, who was the author of the gene gun, uh, he's a person who put together a lot of this um, ability to, uh, you know, make grain and all that kind of stuff. He's, he's a genius when it comes to that. He was, a, he was basically an atheist evolutionist and became a Christian because he said it's impossible because evolution says, you know, you have to have all these minute changes and they all have to be good 
in order to get us going this direction. He says, no, everything in the genetic code is going like this. He says, in fact, the whole human race is going to collapse because what's happening is that all on our genetic code, every generation is piled more and more defects. And he says it goes like this, and then it levels out, and then it crashes. And he says, it's not going to be that long before the whole human race crashes. You won't be able to... The only reason we're living longer today is because of, of antibiotics and abilities of doctors and all that sort of thing. But our bodies are not going to be able to hold off the inroads of genetic defects and disease, and at some point, the human race is going to crash. Jesus is coming again soon, and we have plenty of evidence that he is. That's why I want to talk to you about one of the most important things, and that's building character. Um, what we want to do is we want not only to have the title to heaven, as one of my friends put it, but we also want to have fitness for heaven. Isn't that a good thing? And uh, I'm not talking about perfectionism. That's different. But there's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of imbibing of the evangelical world around us, and I have friends in that world, and I'm, I am happy for um, any contacts that we have. But you've heard of the doctrine, once saved, always saved. You've heard of that, you know. And that is so comfortable. I mean, you know, if you're just saved, you just don't have to worry about it. You're going to be saved, and you don't really have to worry about, you know, uh, building up your Christian character. The Adventists are not there. Uh, we, we believe that, yes, Jesus is covering us, but there is something that we cooperate with Jesus in doing, and that's building character. And how do you build character? You build character with your mind, and that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk to you about how you handle your brain. Is that a good thing? And you are doing that right this moment. I'm doing it right this moment. So I want to thank the uh, person who got this for me. So let's go here. This is a, a, this is a quote, you know, and you can raise your hand anytime. This can be interrupted at any moment. Uh, we're all friends here, and I just want you to go home with something that is really being a blessing to me. You know this text, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it simply says, the greatest one of the world are men, we can certainly put women in there, who in their what? What is your inmost soul? It's who you really are. And we ought to pray about that. I say, Lord, in my inmost soul, who I really am, in my heart of hearts, and what I love, I want to be like you. I want to be unselfish in my heart of hearts. You know your heart of hearts because only you can go there and the Lord. I can't go there. You can't go there for me. But you go there in your every day, every moment of your life. You're acquainted with who you are. You know, and I, I don't want to offend. I mean, our world is, uh, in our world is uh, particularly the younger generation. The devil's really gone after them. They're in a generation. They're, they're in an identity crisis. They don't know who they are. They think... You know, I, the other thing I heard not too long, I'm not trying to make fun of anything. I'm just talking about the world we live in. Somebody was telling me that now they've identified 37 different genders. I said, really? And, and, and that's what they're teaching you kids in public school. Maybe not your kids. Some of your kids, they will. They do. But the world is confused. It's a mess. Because people don't, they, you know, they don't know who they are. So they go through these terrible surgeries you know, I'm, 
I may be an XY. If you have an XY, you're a man. If you have YY, you're a woman. That's in your genes. That's not, now, you know, sin has messed all of us up. Every last one of us. Aren't you grateful for Jesus tonight? And, uh, but the world's a mess. And people are going through all kinds of things. There's some studies that people have gone through the transgender thing. And after they've gone through it, they're still not happy. They're still miserable. So what is the truth about ourselves? And this is what, of course, evolution, people don't want to believe this. Why do they not want to believe it? Because they want to have face-to-face with it. This doesn't mean that we're totally depraved. It just means that we do have a degradation problem. You know what degradation is. We have a depravity problem, not totally depraved, or we couldn't be rescued. But hallelujah, we can be rescued, and that's good news. The Bible says this, the heart. The, the heart is a, in the Bible many times is a way of saying your mind and your affections together. Um, many times it means your affections, what you love. Uh, if you show me what a person loves, you can just about predict their behavior. That makes sense? The heart is deceitful. What's the word deceitful mean? It means that you can deceive yourselves. That's why you got so much confusion. It's because people are, are deceived about themselves. Uh, deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can what? Understand it. That's why these people do these terrible crimes all this kind of, they can't even understand themselves at times. Uh, this is, these are the words of Jesus, and they're really profound when you listen to them. He says, for, uh, this is Jesus, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Notice, out of the affections, out of the mind. Fornications, thefts, and he gives this whole list of terrible things. And then all these evil things proceed from within, and what? What's the next word? Defile. So you are defiled when these things come out of your heart. So the heart is the seat and the mind is the seat of who we are and what we will become and what we do on a daily basis. Okay, this is uh, Hebrews. It says the word of God is a living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Notice this part. It judges the what? Thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's why the Bible is important. It is the only book, it's only inspiration that will help you to sort out who you are and say, Lord, that hurts, but it's true. That makes sense? You need to know the truth about yourself. I need to know the truth about myself, and I need to face it. And I need to face it on a daily basis, and I need help. And there's good help, good help for us. All right, somebody asked me tonight if I had... A, a good, um, something good, and I do have something good tonight, so I hope this will be a blessing for you. All right, let's, uh, let's go over, uh, it talks about faith in Christ is the only way to overcome. This, what does it mean when God says, I will put a new spirit or heart within them? What does that mean? Listen to Ellen White's comment on that text. Listen to it. It means a new mind I will give you. This change of heart or affections is always attended by a clear conception of Christian duty and the understanding of truth. That's Mind, Character, Personality, page 95. What what is it about the conversion experience that gives you a clear picture of what your duty is? If you have a converted experience... When you have that experience, something awakens 
in your mind and heart. It's called your conscience. And your conscience begins to say, you know, most people actually know that if they've been in an unconverted state and they go to a converted state, that, that what they've been doing is wrong. If they've been lying, it's wrong. If they've been uh, uh, disobeying the fifth commandment or the seventh commandment or the ninth commandment or the tenth commandment, whatever commandment, they know instinctively that that needs to change. You don't really have to sit down and say, you know what, you've been converted now and you really, you really should stop lying. They know instinctively because the conscience has been awakened. Uh, let's go on and watch some of this as we go uh, down here. All right, let's see. If my, there we go. Thank you. Somebody help me back there. Or maybe it was just delayed. When the mind, uh, continued in Mind, Character, and Personality, page 692, when the mind and heart and soul are changed, man is not given a new conscience. Why is he not given a new conscience? He's got one. You're born with one. You've already got one. What happens in the conversion process, though, is this. But his will, I'm going to talk about the will tonight because it's such a key. His will is submitted to a conscience what? Renewed. In other words, that conscience now has not only been woken up, it has been renewed. And how is it renewed? A conscience whose dormant sensibilities, what's the word dormant mean? That's right. That's right. You put your computer on sleep. All right. Do I see your hand, please? The Bible speaks about an evil conscience. So our conscience has to be re-educated to what is actually right and true. That's right. It's, it's got to be renewed. And she says that the Holy Spirit is the one that renews it. Now, it's there, but it's got to be woke up, and then it's got to be renewed. Um, when you renew an, or restore an old car, what do you do? Some of you are laughing because you've done some of that. Am I right? Uh, you get an old one. I, I, when I was in, uh, uh, going to Andrews many years ago, we decided we needed to earn some money to kind of you know, pay the bills. So we decided that we would launch out. And I didn't know anything about being up north in Michigan. I had not been in the Rust Belt before. Some of you are smiling. You know where this is going to go, don't you? And uh, we, bought, we bought a Mustang, and we said, we're going we're to fix this up and sell it. And there was some rust in it, and oh, that won't be any problem. Oh, it was a huge problem. Once you got into it, there was rust, and you thought you'd gotten it out, and there was more rust, and there was more rust, and, and we packed on more Bondo and more Bondo. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we shaped it and shaped it, and I, know, I see you guys, I see you. It's going to end all right, I think. <laughs> Finally, uh, we were really honest with people. So when people came to us and we said, we got ready to sell it. And we had got it painted and we said, listen, this thing is a rust bucket. We piled, here's where we piled on the Bondo. And so we didn't figure anybody would want to buy it. You know, we thought, well, we just may be taking a shellacking on this. Some guy walked up and he says, I'm divorcing my wife. I don't like my wife. I'm buying that thing to give it to my wife. So <laughs> I pity her, but anyway... Uh, <laughs> He, he bought it with his eyes open. What he did with it was, uh, I guess, his problem. I couldn't handle that at that point. But that's not my point. My point is 
that when you do a restoration, that car needed a lot more different kind of restoration than I could give it. Bondo wasn't going to work. It need, that rust needed to get out of there. In fact, it probably needed whole fenders replaced. So when you get a renewed conscience, the Holy Spirit is doing some serious work with your conscience. And only God can do that. That's why we know that when people's lives are changed, that it is the work of supernatural work. It's not just the work of an emotional moment. It is the work of the Lord doing something in our lives. And he's busy at that every day that, uh, that I am happy for that. Okay, listen. The dormant sought sensibilities. What's sensibility? Reasonableness. Does that make sense? Common sense. You don't put Bondo and try to use that to fix the rust. Am I right? That's right. You, you have to, you got to use sensibility means reasonableness, common sense, and uh, something that makes sense. The sensibilities are aroused by the working of the Holy Spirit. All right, let's go on here. Okay, let's see. There we go. Question. How does the renewed conscience work? The answer, this is my answer based on what we've got there, but the answer is that it brings, it brings first the reason and affections and then the will under Christ. Notice, notice what it does. First of all, the Holy Spirit brings reason. Two plus two still equals four. Am I right? So it brings reason. I should not lie because it's really dumb to do that. Is that not right? I should not steal because really that's foolish to do that. That's still two plus two equals four. And the affections. I have to love being good. And before, I didn't. I like to steal, so to speak, or I like to lie. I'm just putting that in generic terms is what I'm talking about here. That's before Christ. We love those things that we ought not to love. And what the Holy Spirit does, he switches that love for those things that we used to have. And changes that. And those things then bring the will, and then the will, I'm talking about the will a little bit, comes under Christ. Are you still with me? Cracking with me? Okay. Uh, let's see if we can get this to change here again. You know, you're a good man. We thought this thing worked, didn't we, earlier? Okay, you may have to help me back there. I don't know. Thank you. Right use of the will. How many choices do you have? I won't spend a lot of time on this. But how many choices do you have? I used to think I had three. I could either serve the devil, I could either serve myself, or I could either serve the Lord. The truth is you only have two. I'm just cutting the chase here. You can either serve the devil or the Lord. You say, well, what about myself? Can I just serve maybe 10% of myself? No, because that 10% is selfish. So selfishness has to get up. You can't be a little bit selfish. A little bit selfish will make you all selfish. You've got to give up selfishness utterly. And the reason selfishness has to be given up, because it is the prescription for life. Unselfishness is the prescription for life. Life cannot exist in the universe unless it exists in an unselfish culture. And the heaven we're going to is an unselfish culture. Otherwise, selfishness will always bring death and destruction, and that's why it's all around us right now. I can't uh, take a lot of time to get into that, but let's go to the next slide. This is Steps to Christ. This is an amazing, um, this is an amazing, uh, there we go. This is an amazing statement uh, from Steps to Christ. Many are inquiring, how am I to make a surrender of myself to God? Now, I'm a minister. 
I love to do meetings and I like to call people to surrender. How many times have you heard a minister or someone ask you to surrender your life to the Lord? And how many times have you responded? I like to respond every time. I want to surrender my, but what does it mean? What does it mean? And listen, this is, this is so insightful. I could spend the, almost the whole evening. I'm not going to do that, of course. You desire to give yourself to him, but you are what? Have you ever had good intentions and have those intentions just land on the trash heap of some time? Hmm? Or the trash heap are the stumbling blocks of temptation? You're weak in moral power. In slavery to what? You can always find a coat hanger to hang your doubts on. And the reason for that is because we can never close the gap between us and God. Somebody said it the other day. I've said it many times. Heaven will always be a time that we will live by faith. There will never be a time in the universe that there will not be a gap between us and God. You will have to trust him because everything, that, all of life is built on trust in him. But you can always find a reason to put your doubt. Slavery to doubt controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Habits are bad things and good things. Why does God give us the ability to do habits? Because if you've got a good habit, a good habit um, saves you a lot of energy and emotional energy because you just have a good habit. My mother, when I was growing up, and this is the blessing, and you can still get this in adulthood. You don't have to have it this way, but we became Seventh-day Adventists. My mother uh, read those red books, and they really helped disciple us along with the Bible. And you know what I mean by the red books. Um, and I was really blessed. But one of the things that we did not do, she just changed in our life, was eating between meals. Um, and she had us pretty well trained. Uh, if somebody gave us candy or something, whatever, we'd bring it home and give it to mother, and then she let us have it after the meal. It was just built into our life. So I don't have a big problem eating between meals today. Why? Because I, I developed that habit. Habits, you got to watch habits. Now, this is just to show you how powerful this is. At our, about two miles south of my house, is a, we, there's an overpass for the interstate. And uh, they rebuilt the inter, that overpass, and they put a blinking red light. Before you get to the blinking red light, they put a huge sign up with all kinds of blinking lights saying, new stoplight is a four-way stop. What are they trying to do? What do they know about us that travel that road every day? Exactly right. We're in the habit of not stopping. And now they expect us to change the habit. And, and I know this. I said, so, and I'm a pretty good guy most of the time. And I say to myself, okay, I got to do this. So I'm just clipping down there, you know. But I'm in a, no, I'm in a habit. I even see the blinking sign. And what do I do? I go right smack through that baby. I'm saying, as I'm going through it, I'm saying, oh, no, oh, Lord, help me. You hope that nobody else had the same problem. Come, 
people coming from the other direction had to stop coming off the interstate. So they're stopping anyway because they're already in the habit of it. And I'm sure those folks said, what a crazy dude. Who is that uh, crazy? You know what? It, I hate to admit it. You would have thought that would have cured my habit, wouldn't you? I think I did it one more time. And my wife, my sweet, wonderful wife, she did it too. Right through it. Whew. Don't tell her I said that. I should, that's a recording. I mean, I'm in real trouble. But at any point, uh, there, I, there I am. That's habit. Well, it took me some real stealing in my mind. I said, Jay, you get in the car to get out of your driveway, you're going to stop at that. You've got to develop a new habit. I have the habit now. I automatically stop because it's habit. So that's why you want to form good habits. And it's why it's so tough to get over bad habits. That's why you don't want to form bad habits. You can overcome them by the grace of God. Aren't you glad for that? And you can form new habits. Well, I had to... That was, not a, that was not something I was not going to do because I didn't want to get killed. I didn't want to kill somebody else. And you've got to get your act together here. You've got to overcome that natural inclination just not to stop, even though you're used to not stopping. All right. Uh, you, you're controlled by the habits of your life, of sin. Your promises and resolutions have, are like ropes of sand. Ever try to pick up a rope of sand? Now, listen, here she gets right down to the nitty-gritty. You cannot control your what and your what. Any of you have impulsive behavior? Your what's the next word? That's why there's a lot of divorce. And because people cannot control their affections. If you marry a woman or a man and you make a commitment, what are you making? What are you saying? Can you fall in love with somebody else? Don't give me that stuff. The answer to that is yes. You can fall in love with a lot of people. Your wife is not the, is not the only pretty woman you'll ever see in your life. Your husband's not the only handsome guy you'll ever see in your life. Am I making sense here? I'm telling you the truth. But the truth is that you have chosen, am I right? And you also chosen to control your affections. That's why you see these people that in high office and so forth, they say, oh, I met my soulmate. No, you meet your soulmate. What you did is you just didn't control your affections. That's your problem. And where do you start controlling your affections? Right in here. You with me? All right, let's go on. Uh, the knowledge of your broken promises, now this is where it gets really tough. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weakens your confidence in your own what? And you begin to question your own integrity, your own sincerity. Did you really mean that? Maybe I'm not converted after all. You can hear all those things. And it causes you to feel that God cannot what? If I'm not sincere and I didn't do it, and I was just being hypocritical, so God, how can you accept? Can you hear? It's a really mess that begins to pile in on us. And don't think we all don't go through this. 
I love this next part. But you need not despair. Hallelujah to that. That's a semicolon, but this is but. You need not despair. What you need to understand is the true force of the will, the power of choice that God has given to men, it is theirs to exercise. Now listen to this. This is huge. You cannot change your heart. Wow. One of my prayers is, Lord, I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, this day I want you to send in the Holy Spirit, the divine executioner. And I want him to slay my selfish heart. The old man is dead, but he's not dead dead. I don't have time to get into Romans tonight, chapter 6. Not dead dead. He wants to always come alive. But what you want to do is you want the divine executioner to put him to to death every day. That's why Paul said, I die daily. And you cannot do that. You have to have divine help to do it. So I say, Lord, I want you to come in. You know this selfish, carnal heart that I have, and I want you to put it to death today, and I want to live a life in my inmost soul. I want to live today an unselfish life. Now, that doesn't mean that that's not going to be challenged during the day. But that morning, the Lord and I have made a covenant together because I want that old carnal nature dead. That day, I want him dead. So you got to have help. That's the reason you cannot fix your character. Education will not fix the nation. We can can pour zillions upon zillions of dollars in education. We can educate people, and we can make them sophisticated sinners. You can, you can do health education. Don't get me wrong. I love the health message. It's a good thing. We should do lots of it. And people need it to help this. That's not the point. The point is that being a vegetarian or living a healthy lifestyle without a conversion experience and about helping people to understand how to use their mind will only make you a healthy sinner. So you just go to hell healthy rather than sick. You smile, but it's true. That's why we have to have help here. Okay. Then you can, she goes on to say here, you cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give your uh, uh, God its affections. Now, a lot of men have problems with this. Ladies don't have quite as much problem with it, but you have problems too. Men said, you know, I don't feel anything. I don't feel any emotions. But I am attracted to a God who is good. But you can ask God to take your will and to give you new affections. Isn't that a good thing? Listen to what she's saying. She said, you cannot of yourself Give God its affections. You cannot say, God, I'm going to give you my heart because you don't have the power to do it. You may have good intentions, but you need help. That's why we're saved by faith. But you can, this is what you can do. You can choose to do what? You can choose to serve him. So you can say, God, I may not feel, but I may not have the emotions but I choose to serve you. 
I choose to do that. Can you do that? She says you can. You can give him your will. And if you give him your will, then he will then work in you to do according to his good pleasure. How many of you think it's hard to give God your will? Okay, you're honest. How do you give God your will? Let me ask you another question. Do you ever give anybody else your will? How many of you give somebody else your will? Let me see your hands. How many of you never give anybody else your will? You're afraid to answer. Afraid that's a trick question. Not exactly. I'm just trying to make you think a little bit because I've done some thinking about it. How many of you work for somebody else and get a paycheck? When you check in to work, who's, who's in charge? Come on. You said you work for somebody else. Who's in charge? You are the boss. Why? Okay, so then whose will are you under? During that time period that you're working for that paycheck, whose will is controlling you? Well, come on, whose is it? Isn't it the boss? They may not be controlling all your thinking, but he's controlling your behavior that day. Am I right? Sometimes in my life, I let my friends influence my decision-making more than is there just do or... Yeah. And I let them sort of make the decision for me. Yeah. If they're good friends or whatever, I should be owning my decision and making it rather than just like, well, that's a good opinion. I'll just go along with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how much influence. It's a, it's a very good point. Here's my point is, and I'll come back to that. Here's my point. My point is you do give your will. Your behavior is affected by whose will you give. Because when you check in and you say, look, uh, boss, I know we got to get this. I just pulled something way out of the air here, okay? I, boss, I know we need to get this car fixed today, but really, I don't want to work on Chevrolets. I really want to work on Toyotas today. And so I got the Toyota over here. I'm going to go work on that. And the boss, no, I got to get that. I want you to work on the Chevrolet. I said, boss, it doesn't matter what you think. I'm going to work on the, I'm going to work on the Toyota. What's going to happen? Why did it happen? Because you refused to do what? Give him your will. Am I making sense? Question and answer. Can you give him your will, and can you work on the Chevrolet rather than the Toyota? I didn't say you felt like it. Am I making sense? That's what Ellen White is saying. I may not always feel like doing what God wants me to do, but I can choose to give him my will. Your hand. It's his way. When you give him your will, you're basically surrendering every part of your being. Yeah. You can, become his servant, and uh, whatever he wants to, wherever he wants to take you, you're going to have to follow on that path. Yeah. Which is scary to us because we like to choose who we surrender our will to. Mm. That's why yeah. some people will go ahead and quit a job and do another one. That's right. They hope that if quitting the new job, they hope to be able to do their own thing. But at some point... And they can do their own thing as long as it's along with the will of the boss. Am I right? 
I hate to use the word boss, but I'm just using it in a generic term. Do you ever hear the story about the father who decided to test his son? He was very wealthy, and he wanted to see, he's getting old, he's going to pass this whole empire to his son, and he says to his son, son, listen, I'm going on a long trip while I'm gone. I've got this project. Here are all the plants. This is where I want the buildings. This is how I want it done. Now listen to me carefully. I want it done. Have you ever heard this story? I want it done just exactly. And so while he's gone, the son looks at him and he says, no, I, don't, I don't think Dad would have liked that. I think I'm going to put this and make this change. So the son comes home, I mean, the father comes home, and the father looks at him and says, what did you change? make that change for? Hey, well, Dad, he says, I thought that would be a better change. Obviously, you just kind of missed that. Son, he says, you didn't understand. He says, you didn't do one thing I wanted you to do. Not one thing. He said, oh, I did, too. I did all this, but this. No. He says, you did what you wanted to do. Because you, saw, you agreed with everything else, but the part you didn't agree with, you did your own thing. If you give your will to your boss at work, can you give your will to Christ? Can you make the same decision? I didn't say you emotionally would just feel real good about it every time. Because you've got a carnal nature that wants to take you which direction? A different direction. But you've said, no, I've made a commitment. I'm going to keep that commitment. Lord, I've chosen to love you. I may not feel like it right now. I may really want to do something else. But right now, every day, by the grace of God, I'm going to give you my will. I'm going to do it your way. Is that good news? If you can do it with your boss, can you do it with the Lord? Okay. Speak right up good and loud. Um, that's a good question. The question he asked is, is there a difference between your will and your identity? Um, here, here is my answer on the identity. And then I think that leads us to the will. Who you are and who I am really I am nothing more and nothing less than God's child. Therefore, if I am his child and I know that he loves me and I know that he's wiser than I am and that he wants me to develop and to become like him, then as his child who trusts him, I'll give him my will. That makes sense? It's close. All right, let's go on down here just a little. Uh, there's the promise. He will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. She's commenting on a scripture verse. So if you choose to give God your will, he promises to do this uh, according to his good pleasure. All right, let's go on here. Let's see. Thank you so much. Now, here's the next part. Thoughts. Um. How many of you have thoughts that just jump into your head? Come on, come on, everybody does. All kinds of thoughts, am I right? All kinds of thoughts. Your brain, many people just think, well, I'm just going down through life, and I'll just think whatever pops in my head. I'm here to tell you that you need to train your brain. And I'm not trying to rhyme that. I'm just trying to tell you that your brain needs training. Your thoughts need training. You do not have to think whatever pops in your mind. She says the thoughts 
must be trained. Everyone should have his aims and purposes. You're young people. Do you have an aim and a purpose in life? Do you know where you want to go? Once you decide you want to know where you want to go, then you've got to make your thoughts and decisions head that direction. You just can't just say, okay, yeah, I want to do that someday, but you don't take any hard decisions to get there. Still with me? Everyone should have his aims and purposes. You should aim and purpose every day to live a good, godly Christian life. Is that a good aim? Yes, it's a good aim. And then make every thought and action of that character to accomplish which God purposes. The thoughts must be what? Okay, I'm going to get into this a little bit more depth here in just a minute. There must be, what's the word fixedness mean? What? Focused. Fixedness. Give me another word. Obsession. What? Unmoving. Okay. Those are not bad words. It's not what I'm really looking for yet. Fixedness. What? Determined. Determined. Do you have, have you ever had anything in your life you were determined to do? Huh? Can you use that same determination with your thoughts? There must be a determinedness, that's my word, fixedness of purpose to carry out that which you shall undertake. All right, let's go to the next one. Thank you back there. I think, yeah, good, wonderful. Right thoughts. And this is, this is, this is tough. This is where a lot of people say, oh, I just thought the Christian life was going to be a real easy thing. And, <coughs> excuse me, right thoughts and pure and holy purposes. By the way, what is holiness? Why do we call God holy? Because he's what? Yes, you're right on target. If you, read, if you remember the song, it equates his holiness with his perfection. I know a lot of people say, well, nobody wants to be perfect nowadays. But my question is, is, what's wrong with perfection? I mean, what's wrong with being perfect? You like your car to start? I like my car to start every time. Don't you? I hate being let down on the side of the road. I had to go get my wife the other day because she calls me and she says, my... My car stopped, and I am stuck on the side of the road, and it won't stop. And I said, okay, I'll call the wrecker. So we had it towed in, spent money to do what? To restore its perfection. Am I right? Because I want it to run, not let me down on the side of the road. When I reach for the key, and I put it in the key, and I turn the thing, I want the thing to crank, even on a very cold, dark morning. I want it to crank without fail. Does that make sense? So I want to do the right thing every time by the grace of God. It's always by the grace of God. Is that a good thing? Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Right thoughts and pure and holy purposes do not come to us. What's the word? We shall have to what? 
What does strive mean? You ever play a game? Ever play soccer? Ever play ball? Yeah. I use that illustration. We know, and, and if you hit the ball from home plate, between you, between that ball going out there is a place called first base. Am I right? So you hit the ball, and what do you do to get to first base? I hit the ball. Great. And you just kind of long, slowly make your way. Stroll to first base. You don't stroll to first base. You strive to get to first base. Am I right? What do you do in that moment? You're putting your energy, your time, your, your determination to beat, get to that base before those guys get that ball to that base. That's what you're after, striving. The same thing is with your thoughts. So that means that when thoughts come into your mind that don't belong there and you know they don't belong there, it is going to take effort and striving on your part to get them out and not allow them to influence your behavior. How do you do that? Okay, this is coming from mind character personality again. Training means to educate, so you've got to know what's right. Exercise and discipline your mind to behave the way you want it to. The word control means to direct, manage, organize, have power over your mind. Have you ever been given a job to where you had to organize something? Manage something? Of course. To strive means to exert oneself vigorously to contend in opposition against things you don't choose to think about. So you say, hey, it comes into my mind, and I don't want to think about that, so I choose not to think about it. Can you choose not to think about stuff? The answer is yes. You can say, I don't choose to think about it. But you say, but it pops right back in my mind. Tell it a thousand times. I'm not thinking about you. I am not going there. I often say to the Lord, Lord, I'm not thinking about that, and I'm asking for your help not to think about it. Let's you and I change the subject. It's hard. I know they say ladies can do more than one thing at a time, and there's some, some things true about that, especially mothers. But none of you can think about two things at the same thing, time. All right? You can only think about one thing at a time. So you can, by the grace of God and by discipline, make your mind think the right thing. So if you have an unholy thought, thoughts you know don't belong there, what can you do? You say, Lord, I'm not thinking about that. You and I, I don't want to go there. We're not going there, Lord. And Ellen White will recommend a little later that you can bring Scripture in because you can begin to fill your Scripture mind with Scripture. Another thing that you can do is fill your mind with song. That's why you don't want to listen to the garbage on the radio. You don't want to listen to the garbage. You don't want to watch the garbage because what is all of that doing? Satan knows exactly what he's doing. He's filling your mind with stuff so that it will jump out at the wrong time. So you want to have good holy thoughts about the opposite gender, am I right? And when the wrong kinds of thoughts come in there, what do you do with those thoughts? You say, Lord, those are not appropriate thoughts. That person doesn't deserve to be thought about that way. 
And I am not, by the grace of God, going to think those kind of thoughts. You can control your thoughts by the grace of God. You have to strive. It'll cost you work. What about melancholy thoughts? Don't raise your hand. Anybody ever been, uh, you just naturally melancholy and you just, do, you just think negative? Have you ever catch yourself say, you know, you're out mowing the grass or something, you say, huh, what am I thinking about? You ever catch yourself thinking? What was the train of your thoughts? What are they, negative thoughts? Does God want you to be negative? Does he want you to be sour? Does he want you to be melancholy? Do you have to think melancholy? Do you have to? Now, I'm not saying you don't. I'm not talking about Pollyanna here. You have to think about the world at times. But does God want you just to be unhappy? Unhappy about your friends? Unhappy about your mom and dad? Unhappy about your husband, your wife, or whatever? You're just unhappy. Does God want you to think those kind of thoughts? You've got to run those thoughts out of your mind. How do, you, how do we do this? Okay, listen to this. This will give you hope. Still with me? I'm supposed to let you out of here. Are, are, you, are you getting something out of this? Okay, can you stay with me just a little longer? All right, okay, let's go. Every class of temptations. Are there different classes of temptation? Of course. Now, I know I had somebody got really, a, a person held fairly uh, important responsibility, and some of us brought up that there are some sins that are worse than, than other sins. All sin will get you lost if you persist in it. But there are some sins that are worse than others. I've said to people, when Je- they say, well, what about Jesus? When he said, if you hate your brother, you know, it's, it's like killing him. So just hating him is as bad as killing him. I said, you better think about that for a moment. Would you rather have somebody think about killing you or killing you? What's worse? <laughs> yeah, simple question, simple answer. Exactly. Why does the Bible say some will be beaten with many stripes and some with few? There are degrees of sin, but all sin is deadly. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, Every class of temptation, there is a remedy. I love that statement because no matter what your genetic suitcase is packed with, no matter what gutter you may have come out of, or no matter what kind of home that you have grown up in, Satan studies you. He has a class of temptations, but she says there is a remedy for every class of temptation. And I I think that's exciting. We are not left to ourselves to fight the battle against self. And I'm telling you, this is the truth. Jesus is a mighty helper, but you've got to connect with Jesus. You've got to connect with him. The mind must be restrained and not allowed to wander. Daydreaming is not a good idea. Why? You're silent. The heart is what above all things? Exactly right. So if you're just not daydreaming and you're just letting your mind just go into whatever gear it wants to go into, what kind of junk is going to come in there? You have to control your mind. Your mind must not be allowed to wander. It should be trained to dwell upon scriptures, upon noble, elevated things. So I'm telling you, I'm telling myself, that's the life I want to live. I want to live a life where my mind is thinking noble, elevated things. I want to live a life 
that where my mind is thinking about Scripture and good things. And that brings happiness. That's where happiness is really at. Portions of Scripture may be committed to memory, and then when Satan comes in with his temptations, etc. Mind, character, personality, 658, 659. How do we train our thoughts? Now listen to this. See if this has ever fitted you. Please don't raise your hand because all of us have this. Everybody. There are many who are really troubled because low, debasing thoughts come into the mind and are not easily what? Yeah. Satan has his evil angels around us and even though they cannot read men's thoughts, they closely, they do what? closely watch their words and action. You are being studied. I am being studied. These evil angels know your ancestors. They know you. They're watching you. And they want to, they're watching you like a snake that wants a meal. They, they want to kill you. They're not your friends. They're your enemies. And they're watching you. Because they want to know what's going on in your mind. Now listen. Satan takes advantage of the weakness and defects of character. How does he find out what are my weaknesses and defects of character? Because he's watching me all the time. That this, that are thus revealed and presses his temptations where there's the least power of what? So he says, he looks at Jay Gallimore, he looks at you and he says, mm-hmm. Yeah, he has a hard time resisting that, doesn't he? All right, that's where we press the attack. Making sense? All right. Now listen to this. He makes evil what? Now, I don't know how he does it. He can't read your mind. But evil angels have the power to flash thoughts into our heads. Somehow. Maybe they make it through a movie. Maybe they make it through a music. Maybe they make it through an acquaintance, a friend. Maybe they make it through a joke. Maybe they make it through, you know, all kinds of things. That's why the Bible says watch and be on the alert. Um, he makes evil suggestions. Okay, let's go to the next one, please. Thank you. So, uh, you want to give, first of all, you want to give your will to Christ. We've talked about that. You want to train your mind by choosing what it thinks about. Choose what you think about. Control your mind by choosing ahead of time what it will think about. Anticipate temptation. I came out of Camp Asabel. I've shared this, I've shared it before, you forgive me. I came out of Camp Asabel, and they have these new big electronic signs on the interstates. Have you seen them? You've seen them, of course you have. And they will flash messages up there. So I'm coming out. The sign has not been up very long. It's, I think it's, I don't know if it's the springtime or the fall or whatever. But anyway, the message is up there, and it says something to the effect, if a deer runs in front of you, do not swerve. Why? What's the natural thing to do? Yeah. I had a friend who told me, yeah, he says, I, sw I had a deer run across me. He says, I swerve, and he says, I flipped my car. You ever swerve at 70 miles an hour? You'll lose control of a car very, very quickly. You swerve hard. Even at 55 or 60, you're going to, the possibility of swerving, I mean, losing control of that car, very, very real. That's why they put it up there. But the natural thing is 
Honey, don't hurt Bambi, please don't. You know, so your natural thing is to swerve. Am I right? And I don't. One of my prayers is when I leave, Lord, don't let me hit anything. Don't let me be hit by anything. Lord, please, I don't hit any of your little creatures out there. So I, I pray that prayer, and I try not to hit God's little creatures. But you also, my life is more valuable than the deer's life. Your life is more valuable than the deer's life. So what they're saying to you is, don't swerve, kill the deer, hit the deer, smash up your car, because that's better than flipping your car over a half a dozen times. But the natural thing to do is to... So the only way you're not going to swerve is... Come on. Why do they tell... What did you say? You're absolutely right. That's why they put it on the sign. They wanted Jay Gallimore, (laughs) all the rest of us, to all make a decision ahead of time so that when you are caught by that surprise deer that jumps across in your path, you've already made the decision not to swerve. Now, I want to tell you that I've had to do some thinking about that. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, okay, that's nice. But then when that deer runs out in front of me, the natural inclination is still what? Swerve. You have to make up your mind ahead of time that if that deer jumps out in front of me, I'm not going to swerve. You have to steel yourself to that. Question and answer. Do you know where your weaknesses are? Some of them? Good. You, you, should, you should ask yourself. You should examine yourself. I don't like doing it either because I don't like to admit weakness, but we need to I'd be honest with ourselves and say, I have a weakness. Maybe your weakness is being impulsive. Maybe your weakness is... Well, it could be a lot of things. If you know ahead of time what your weakness is, then you and the Lord Jesus make a decision that when that temptation comes, you're going to do what? What? Change the subject. Yeah, change the subject. Exactly right. Lord Jesus, when that, when that thought comes into my mind and I am tempted to think that, you and I are going to change it. We've already made the decision what we're going to do about that. We've already made the decision what we're going to do about it. That's training your mind. If you're in a dating relationship, should you make some decisions ahead of time? Should you? And not simply fall into whatever is natural. Does that make sense? Why? Because you want good outcomes. You don't want regrets. You don't want to look back and be sorry. That makes sense? Appetite's the same way. It doesn't matter what it is. You, you're, um, uh, I'll, I'll, let me get into that. Uh, you're, you're so good to stay with me here. Okay, anticipate temptation. Control your mind by changing the subject when confronted with temptation. Those are very practical things, but you have to ask for help to do it. Can I go to the next slide, please? 
This is counsel to a self-centered family. This is a very interesting um, point here. This mind character personality 660-661. Your imagination was not given to you to be allowed to run riot and have its own way without any effort at restraint and discipline. All of you have an imagination. Can you just let that imagination do all kinds of things? Can your imagination take you in all kinds of places? Some people have an imagination world that they live in. They may not do X, Y, and Z, but they'll live in that imagination world. And what you have to do is say, Lord, I want, I want not to let my imagination take me places that is not healthy. I want to use my imagination for good things. Imagination is a nice thing, but it should be used for healthy things and not unhealthy things. Does that make sense? And you have to discipline that. Notice she says, if the thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong. Where does she start? And the thoughts give birth to, and feelings give, and thoughts and feelings combined make up the, whoa. There it is in a nutshell. And what we want is good character. What we want is not only the title to heaven, but we want to be like Jesus and you can be that way, and I can be that way. But it's a daily striving to control my thoughts. If you control your thoughts, then you will control your feelings. And if you control your thoughts and your feelings, you'll get good outcomes. Isn't that good news? And I'm telling you, Jesus is there to help you. He's doing it for me every day, every hour. I'm praying to the Lord. I want to think this. I don't want to think that. Because we're surrounded in a world of thoughts and evil. We live in that kind of a world. And Jesus is ready to help you on a day-by-day basis. Okay, let's go to the next one. I think I'm about done. Here, this is a good one. I want to, let me end with this one. Nothing tends more to promote the health of the body. How many like to be healthy? No, you do. And of the soul, that's your spiritual life, than does a spirit of what? Gratitude and praise. It is a positive duty to resist melancholy, discontented thoughts and feelings. How do you resist melancholy and discontented thoughts and feelings? How do you resist it? By refusing to think about it and putting something better in its place. And the better in its place is gratitude and praise and thanksgiving. By the way, even if you don't feel like it, do it anyway. That's discipline. That's striving. Say, I feel melancholy. I would like to be a grouchy rascal right now. I would just like to just, just wallow in my discontent. I would just like to enjoy being angry at somebody. I, I just want to live in that thing. Don't do it. You say, but I feel like that. You're not living by your feelings. You're living by your choices. So you say, Lord, I'm going to praise your name. I know so-and-so doesn't like me, and they've treated me whatever, but I want to pray for them right now, and I want them to be in heaven, and I want to be in heaven. I want to thank you that you gave your blood to die for them on Calvary's cross, and Lord, I'd like to have a good relationship with that person. And, you know, pretty soon you keep praying that way and say, Lord, I'm glad that you do this. You've done this for me, and you've done that for me, and I want to thank you for doing this for me. Do you have a, a list of things that you can be thankful for? You start going over that list of things, being thankful, and pretty soon you're out of that mood. You're out of that mood. There's all kinds of things that affect our mood. It could be our health, our hormones, our bodies, or whatever. But we don't have to live there. 
Isn't that good news? But it takes discipline to change the course of your thinking. And to, to, to resist these things is as much a duty as it is to pray. In fact, I would say that it's important to pray. I will close with this illustration. This happened some time ago, so I don't think you know, identity would be there. But somebody came to me. This person was married, and um, somebody from the past had come back up into his life, and suddenly he had all these infatuated feelings that flowed into his life. And his marriage was being threatened by all of this. I don't, you can fill in the details. I don't have to do that. Just the basics. It's all that's needed. And he came to me and he says, am I making a mess out of my life? And I said, you sure are. And I says, and here's your problem. I said, over here you've got God's Ten Commandments. And over here you've got these infatuated feelings. And you're confused. You think those feelings are you. You think that's your identity, and they're not. It's not who you are. I said, let me tell you, what you who you are. Coming back to your question earlier. You are your choices. You are your choices. And I said, here's your problem. Instead of letting God's Ten Commandments control your choices, you're letting your feelings and your infatuations control your choices. And if you keep doing that, it's going to ruin you. What he needed at that point was to cry out to God and say, God, I'm, I don't choose those feelings. I don't choose that past infatuation. I don't choose that. Yeah, it was embedded in my mind. Yes, it can come jumping out. I don't choose that. What I choose is to be faithful and true to my wife because, and I'm going to be that, whether I feel that way or not, I'm going to be that way because your Ten Commandments are informing my thoughts and my choices underlying the Word. And I'm praying and asking for you to empower my will, even though I don't feel like it, to do the right thing. That kind of praying and earnest prayer will help you overcome the most powerful of temptations and help you form a character that will be fit for heaven. That's what Jesus is calling you. And he's there to help you every moment of every day. You cannot do this alone. Believe me, you must have that connection with him. So thank you so much for letting me share this with you tonight. And I don't know what you want to do. You may have prayer and then we're done. Let's all stand then for the benediction. Father in heaven, thank you for my dear young friends. Their lives are before them. They're making choices every day. I pray that you, you will, through your word, through the commandments of God, inform their choices. And I pray, Lord, that you will draw them to yourself, that whether they feel like it or not, they will cry out to you. They will ask you to help them control their choices. They will change the subject. They will anticipate the temptations, the weaknesses of their life, and they will make covenants with you to resist those temptations. And Lord, when they slip and fall, that they will always know that you are their heavenly Father and you love them. You'll pick them back up and dust them off and sit them back up on their feet and let them grow every day, every hour, to be more and more like Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We operate not outside of your forgiveness, but in your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.